Hello and welcome to the very first episode of our Humankind podcast, brought to you by Humanist Society Scotland. I'm Fraser Sullivan, I'm the Chief Executive and I'm your podcast host for today. We want to use this podcast to give you a little taste of the work that we do, the issues that we care about, our projects and campaigns, our people and what humanism looks like in Scotland today. To start off, we have Humanist Society Scotland celebrant John Howison, and he gives us his thought for the podcast. As well as being a registered celebrant, John is a final year PhD student at Somerai Stag at the University of Highlands and Islands. He is focusing on 19th century Gaelic township poetry, and he delivered the very first Time for Reflection in Gaelic at the Holyrood Parliament in June 2019. What do you call a fish with no eyes? That's one of my favourite jokes. I have to tell you that kids' jokes are always amongst my favourites, but jokes generally are good fun. It's what they're all about. But in a way, there's more to them too. When you think about it, they can be made up without being written down. They can be passed on by word of mouth, and then they can be performed face to face with everybody enjoying them together. In that sense, they're a kind of oral literature, a throwback to the days before our society had reading and writing. It's a strange kind of term, that oral literature, isn't it? Since literature means stuff that's written, not stuff that's oral. But oral literature goes back a long way, and some of it eventually got written down, and that's why the ancient Greek epics of Homer and the old English story of Beowulf have survived. But one of the really great things about oral literature was that it gave people a communal experience, something they could share all together, the way we still enjoy the shared experience of a joke. And sharing fun together is, of course, something probably all of us have been missing for chunks of this year. Well, because of that, I've resorted to written literature at times on my own, and an author I've been pleased to rediscover has been the late Terry Pratchett, who was a well-known atheist and humanist, and an incredibly prolific writer of very amusing and thought-provoking novels. And when my mind gets lost in Pratchett's world, the fictional disc world that he created, I meet some amazing characters, and maybe that has been making lockdown just that wee bit less lonely and stressful. I love reading poetry too, getting right into the mind of a poet. I have lots of favourites, and one of these is a Gaelic bard by the name of William Ian Campbell, Willie John Campbell, or Willie Teddy, as he's better known. Willie Teddy was born in 1938, and his life hasn't been easy. His wife died far too young, leaving him with three young children to bring up. But in his poems, his sense of humour can still show through. Like in this one, after several verses talking about how, in all sorts of adversity, it really helps if you can have a laugh, Here's the last wee bit of a poem he made called Giangare. Have a laugh. Giangare. Giangare. 
na bigorst senare. Kert rannen skahen stian gare. Now, in case you don't have the Gaelic, that means have a laugh, have a laugh. Don't be embarrassed. Look in the mirror and have a laugh. That was John Howison there. Next up, we have a conversation between our chair, Professor Maggie Kinlock, and Amy Coulshaw, our new recruit to our volunteer team and Maggie's niece. Hello, Auntie Maggie. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for asking. So we're just here to talk about humanism today. And I was wondering, how did you first become involved or really hear about humanism? The first time I ever became aware of humanism was about 15 years ago. And I went to my friend's mum's funeral and it was a humanist funeral. And I'd never been to such a thing. And it, it really connected with me. It really celebrated the life of a fabulous woman because I'd known her for a long time. And then I just thought, oh, that's really interesting. So then when I went home, I started to look at ways of finding out more about this thing called humanism. And I did a bit of reading. And then over the years, I started to realise that actually everything that was humanist was how I thought. And I suddenly realised that over all the years when I've, you know, explored different kind of belief systems and stuff Mm. and nothing had quite connected, suddenly I realised that's what I was. I was a humanist. (laughs) (laughs) And also when I read a thing called the Amsterdam Declaration, which I don't know if you've read it, but I would urge you to read it. It's absolutely the essence of what humanism is and what it stands for. When I read that, I just went, yeah, that totally speaks to me. You think that helps you understand why or what the benefits are of identifying as a humanist? I mean, in a funny way, life's just made a lot more sense to me and I make a lot more sense to my friends and colleagues since I started to say, oh, I'm a humanist. I wasn't just a person who thought in the way I thought or who felt what I felt and I was just on my own. I realised that there are an awful lot of other people all over the world that think this way and that don't believe in a God, and yet we believe in many things that people who believe in a God would believe in. We just don't believe in a supernatural being who controls our life. We believe that we are responsible for our life and for our actions. And being able to realise that I'm part of that global community has been fantastic. It's really helped me make sense of an awful lot of stuff. Oh, so that's interesting. You feel like your identity is part of a connection with the local and the international groups of humanism. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a member of the Humanist Society Scotland, and in fact, I'm the chair of the society at the moment. And I'm also a working celebrant, conducting weddings and namings and funerals. So on a local level, I feel very connected, and local being Scotland, I feel very connected. I'm very involved in the annual conferences and so forth. But much more importantly, I feel globally connected. And so some of the things that human beings across the world are dealing with, blasphemy laws and so forth, which we in Scotland have been dealing with and, uh, and still are, but until recently, it was slow progress. We suddenly feel we're getting there. But all of these things that people across the world are dealing with, we're dealing with in Scotland, and I'm part of that across the world and in Scotland. So it feels it feels that like I'm doing something useful that goes beyond just me, you know? Yeah, and I suppose that kind of ties in with why young people are kind of interested and involved. Well, I I think you've put your finger on it, actually, Amy, because more and more I'm finding young people are really interested and really fascinated and want to know more. And that was something I wanted to ask you, really. I mean, what is it about humanism that makes you want to know more about it? I think that there's, there's an inherent morality in humanism, which opens conversations about what it means to have a core belief in in a system that's advocating well what is it advocating human rights and i get that actually because there's something about the way the world and and orthodox systems work 
that don't like to be agitated up against. They don't like to be disrupted. But actually, humanism is about disrupting and is about questioning and, and it is about saying, you know, there are things that are not right in our world and as human beings, let's work together to try to change them. Do you think that's what you've learned as being a celebrant and the chair of the Humanist Society Scotland? Or Partly in every single moment that I'm involved as a celebrant, I learn so much from human beings. And by being chair of the society, you know, of course, I'm very involved in the strategic thinking. And we're planning, for example, a major international conference in 2022, which we all lead and it will be held in Glasgow. And we're doing it in collaboration with other organisations. And realising that we have that responsibility as individuals and as the Scottish society to play our part globally and to bring the world here, you know, to Scotland and say, look, this is how we think. And let's all talk to each other and learn how you think and how you've addressed some of these things in your own countries. So yeah, it's it's a marvellous opportunity to learn just by being engaged with Human Society Scotland. Thank you very much for joining me today. Cheers, Amy. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Amy Coolshaw and Maggie Kinlock for that nice personal reflection there. Moving on from thoughts to facts, Brian Ego of the Glasgow Skeptics Group explains to us why we aren't going to catch coronavirus from our 5G phones. Today, I'm going to be talking about the dangers of 5G. Are you sitting comfortably? Then let's begin. In 1889, the first wave of Russian flu worked its way around the world, killing over a million people. The European edition of the New York Herald at the time ran an item suggesting that electric light was somehow responsible for a global influenza outbreak. After all, Quote, the disease has raged chiefly in towns where electric light is in common use. Does that sound familiar? It shows a worrying tendency in some people to look for a scapegoat. And the current bogeyman we have in the COVID-19 era is 5G. So if you're feeling scared at all, here are the top five reasons why 5G is safe, courtesy of Sean Slater, my counterpart from Edinburgh Skeptics. Number one. Fifth generation mobiles still use radio waves in the same frequency band as the first four generations. TV broadcasts, satellites and many other communication devices as well. The only difference is how those waves are processed and used. Number two, we've understood electromagnetic waves and their different effects on biology for over 100 years. Radio waves use what is called non-ionising radiation which does not carry enough energy to change atoms and thus damage cells or tissue. Number three, radio waves can cause localised heating. It's what your microwave does, but only at very high power levels. Your microwave uses 500 to 700 watts of power. Your phone uses about one watt. Think of this as well. Television masts often put out hundreds of thousands of watts of power. Why are campaigners not demanding they be shut down? Number four, 5G is as much about marketing as it is about technology. The tech has been advancing constantly, step by step for 30 years, and has conveniently broken down into generations. Though there are specific tech advances at each point, they come as much from the increase in computing power as much as anything else. Number five, new techniques are planned to increase coverage and to use slightly higher frequency radio waves, but still well within safety levels. More masts are needed simply because the power output is so low, the signal is too weak to travel any significant distance. Thanks for that, Sean. 
So there's really nothing to be scared of, particularly when you compare it to other things. For example, the amount of energy we get from the sun in the form of electromagnetic waves is thousands of times more powerful than any exposure we get from 5G and is actually dangerous. So when conspiracy theorists ask what demonstrates 5G is safe, they are being disingenuous. 5G is not a single thing. There's a lot to be scared about right now, but 5G isn't one of them. Stay safe and stay sceptical. Thanks to Brian for giving us the facts there. Humanism is a worldwide movement, so we asked Chief Executive of Humanists International, Gary McClelland, to share his thoughts on the importance of Humanist Society Scotland's contribution to international work. Hello, my name is Gary McClelland and I'm the Chief Executive of Humanists International. Before I started this role, I worked for Humanist Society Scotland for three years. It was an amazing time during which a great deal was achieved. We appealed against the Scottish Government's guidance on religious observance uh, and has celebrated 10 years of humanist ceremonies. During my time with Humanist Society Scotland, I attended the Humanist International General Assembly. That was a really amazing experience for me to hear from the staff of Humanist International and to learn that, for example, humanists were represented at the United Nations and also to meet other humanists from around the world. It was at this General Assembly that the first Latin American and Asian board members were appointed in order to make the board more representative of the global humanist community. So it was a really eye-opening experience to see the global depth and span of humanism not just Scotland and the UK. When I was appointed the Chief Executive of Humanist International, I really couldn't believe my luck. It's been a really rewarding experience to be part of the work that Humanist International does. We're a very small team, but the work that we do and what we achieve, I think, is really incredible. We rely very heavily on our members, such as Humanist Society Scotland, to help us achieve a lot of these things. Humanist Society Scotland has been for a very long time a valued member of Humanist International. As many of you know, Humanist Society Scotland is a world leader in humanist ceremonies and very much envied across Europe and North America for its amazing ability to spread humanism through these personalised, touching, moving ceremonies that reach into the lives of a big chunk of the Scottish population. Working with Humanist Society Scotland on the international stage on issues like blasphemy has been really useful for us. Thanks to some amazing campaign work, Scotland has just announced that it will repeal its blasphemy law. This goes a massive way to support the repeal of blasphemy laws around the world, and especially in countries where blasphemy is not just a dead letter offence or a paper law. In some of these countries, the blasphemy laws are upheld in such a way that people are imprisoned and sometimes even killed. Such as in the case of Mubarak Bala, the president of the Humanist Association of Nigeria, who is currently being detained in relation to accusations of blasphemy. Mubarak was originally detained in 2014 at the behest of his family for being an atheist and placed against his will in a psychiatric facility. At that time, we worked with other humanist organisations across the world to lead an international campaign to raise awareness of his situation and really shine a spotlight on an extrajudicial detainment of somebody who had not committed a crime. Thankfully, in 2014, he was released later on in the year. Lately, we've seen a spate of targeted violence and intimidation against the humanist community in Nigeria. Last month, Mubarak was detained again by plainclothes police officers at his home in Kaduna. We believe that he has been taken north to Kano, which is a deeply conservative part of Nigeria with a large influence of Islamist extremists. By utilising the relationship between humanist organisations and their governments, such as Humanist Society Scotland's relationship with the Scottish Government, we are able to raise awareness of Bala's case and use those diplomatic channels to put pressure on governments and international associations to begin to work towards his release. 
It's really important that we are cautious about the information that we share in order to protect those relationships and to protect Mubarak. But what I can say is that we were very quickly able to understand the situation thanks to our contacts on the ground and to begin briefing the relevant authorities with up-to-date information. And it's because of the work and the connections with organisations like Humanist Society Scotland that makes this possible. I want to thank Humanist Society Scotland and all of its members being a very valued part of the international community. You should know that by being a member of Humanist Society Scotland, you are doing an amazing amount of work, not just in Scotland, but to support humanist activities and causes around the world. Great to hear about all the work that Humanist International are involved in from Gary McClellan there. Our street care project in Glasgow has been running for around seven years, and every Tuesday, a group of volunteers head out delivering food, warm clothes and other essentials to homeless people on Glasgow streets on their tea walk round. Lockdown restrictions have meant that our volunteers have had to change the way they work, but it's not stopped them providing whatever help and support that they can to homeless people in Glasgow. Join our volunteers Paul and Cathy Miller on their tea walk this week. Hi there, I'm Paul Miller. I'm part of the Glasgow Tea Walk. We're out in the streets of Glasgow this Wednesday night. I am driving around Merchant City with my lovely wife, Catherine. Hiya. Reason why it's just the two of us, we normally have a team of nine, but obviously because of lockdown and social distancing, we are safer for us to go as a team of two. And also the council have been highly efficient at throwing money at getting the homeless off the streets and into hotels. So far tonight, we met two of our colleagues who dropped off loads of stuff for us. Social distancing was observed, obviously, and we have collected iron brew, socks, lots of clothing, toiletries from one of them, and another one works in a distillery and they are now Instead of making gin, they are now making hand gel and she has given us loads of bottles of that. Since then we have gone to leave the city centre and head up to West End Glasgow. We've seen another two people, two of our wee regulars. Um, one looking out for the homemade soup and another one we haven't seen in two years because he was staying in the, the Queen's big house. And the first thing he asked for was some of the homemade tablet. So his memory's good. Shall now head on. We have also spoken to one of our suppliers, Sainsbury's. We will be there at half past eight. They'll give us the leftovers for tonight. And we are now going to continue our journey. The streets are so deserted, we have a game of cricket ongoing <laughs> in the middle of Glasgow at Gale Street right now. That's how quiet the streets are just now. There we go, you don't get to see that Fabulous. often. Once in a lifetime. Uh, we are now going to head out the west end of Glasgow and see who's up there. Hey, back in the car, helped another couple uh, outside Glasgow Central Station. One cafe recognised as one of your regulars, Jamie. Jamie, yeah. Yeah, me, Jamie. He wanted a soup. His friend didn't want anything until we poured Jamie a soup and then to quote his friend, he said, "That smelled heavy, nice. Heavy, nice. So there's an absolute compliment for my soup, and uh, had a wee soup and a roll to dip in it as well. So helped to do them out just with some soup sandwich and some wee sweet treats again. They are both staying in hostels just now, so they will be getting up and all later on tonight." 
Hey, that's us over the West End of Glasgow just now. We've covered Great Western Road and we are just on Byers Road. No one of our regulars up here. Her father was getting buried today. So her and her son and her man tend to be begging up this way. So I don't know why they're not here. We are now going to head along the Finiston End of Glasgow. Drive back towards... Sainsbury's, do our pick up and then we'll head to the shelter drop off. Right, that's us. Time is now just gone half past eight. We have picked up from Sainsbury's and Buchanan Street. We dropped all that off at one of the Glasgow shelters for homeless at the Gowrie. A couple of our colleagues, Linda, had already been. She dropped off stuff from Marks and Spencer's on Byers Road a lot of fruit and veg and stuff in there and the most popular guy of the evening would have been Derek because he drops off 10 pizzas freshly made big pizza hut. So that's the Gowrie being catered for by Humanist Society for the night. You guys are well fed and quite happy. We have seen a total of 11 people tonight. Normal times we would normally see anywhere between 50 and 90 on the streets of Glasgow. We'd normally go out as a street and a team of nine. I don't know how Cathy feels, but feels been quite a worthwhile night. Absolutely, yes, it's always worthwhile. We are now heading home and going to chill for the evening. Right. Bye now. I'd just like to take a moment here to say how much we appreciate the work of Paul, Cathy and all our other street care volunteers across all the projects in Glasgow, Edinburgh and Stirling. They turn up every week, whatever the weather, and they do everything they can to give people dignity in difficult times. If you would like to volunteer or support our street care projects in any of these places, you can find out how more information on our website at www.humanism.scot slash streetcare. To finish up, we're going to have the first of our regular five fast question slots for our podcast, and they're going to be asked by our communications manager, Kerry and we will feature a different person associated with the Humanist Society in each podcast. And first up, it's myself. Hi, Fraser. Thank you for being the first guest on Fast Five Questions. Are you ready? I am very much ready, yep. Ready to go. So, Margaret Atwood or Terry Pratchett? Oh, I think Margaret Atwood, definitely. The post-apocalyptic stuff on that is, uh, is very good. So, Science or intuition? Uh, science, definitely, yeah. Rational policy making led by science. Unicorn or fairy? Unicorn, national animal of Scotland. E reader or book? A book, definitely. Greek or Roman myths? Oh, Greek. I probably know more about randomly. That's it. That's all of my questions. Great. I feel like. Well, that wasn't too much of a gr- grilling. <laughs> I'll send you your full psychological assessment in due course. Fantastic. So, who would you like to nominate as the next Fast Five participant? Okay, I'm going to nominate one of our board members, and that's Jim Chalmers. And any particular reason why you chose Jim? I think Jim's got a load of interesting background story to how he became a a trustee and his involvement in the society, and I'd be interested to see what his answer to some of these questions are as well. (laughs) Excellent. So I look forward to speaking to Jim the next time, and thank you, Fraser.
thanks for listening to Humankind. If you've got any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at podcast at humanism.scot. You can tweet us at Humanist Society, or you can follow us on Facebook at at Humanist Society Scotland. This episode was produced by Julia Moon, Ruth Curry, and Kerry Sutherland, with thanks to John Howison, Amy Coolshaw, Maggie Kinlock, Brian Eggle, Gary McClelland, Paul Miller, and Kathy Miller, and this edition was presented by Fraser Sutherland.